This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the Word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the program. You're listening to The Word to Stand for Life. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. And hopefully we'll all get back on a schedule that feels normal. This is our first normal week in the new year. I hope you're having a great new year. hope you had a great day in church yesterday. It was Communion Sunday for us. And we get everything back on track. Hey, this is a program that all you have to do is call us. You can ask questions about our faith. You can ask questions about things going on in your lives, Bible questions. All you need to do is dial 210-340-9585. That's 340-9585. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. That's 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com or you can use our free Calvary Chapel mobile app. If you're driving in your car, the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app because then you just have to hit one button. Call now and you'll be connected directly to our studio producer. We'd love your calls. 340-9585 is our main number. I told you we're back on schedule. That means tonight all of our uh, normal Bible studies uh, are back on on Monday nights. The ladies, instead of a Bible study tonight, they'll be having their annual retreat planning meeting. But other than that, the men will be here. The kids, junior high school and high school, will be here. So you can make it a family night and come out uh, and, uh, and join them. You would, I think, be blessed. Okay, well, since we don't have a bunch else to talk about, let's get right to some questions while we wait your phone calls. Uh, here is um, a critic, Pastor Ron, it's from Annette. I'm an Annette that I love that works for me, so I'm sure this isn't her. <laughs> uh, Pastor Ron, there are some really intelligent people who disagree with you on eternal security. How can you so clearly say that they are wrong and you are right? Well, Annette, there, there's some things that you don't have to interpret in the Bible. Uh, and there's a lot of smart people that disagree with me on a lot of things. Um, I think that's something I'm, I'm not that smart however there are some things all you have to do is look and see don't interpret what the Bible says just look and see what it says Ephesians chapter 1 verses 13 and 14 says that the Holy Spirit has been given to us as a deposit here's the key word guaranteeing our inheritance So, Annette, to take the position that you seem to be taking, you'd have to kind of question God's ability to guarantee anything. 
I got saved. The Holy Spirit was given to me. It's like God is watching guard, standing guard over my heart to make sure that I'm going to get to my uh, appointed end in heaven with him. You see, that's as clear and definitive a statement on eternal security. Now, there's plenty of others. He who began a good work with you will be faithful to complete it. Um, um, Jesus said, uh, I've got you in my hands. The Father who's greater than I has you in his hands, and no one can snatch you from his hands. Um, you know, and I think, and this is the problem, this is an emotional question. Um, because when we come up with the conclusion that you've come up with, um, you've got to deny the power of God to protect those who are really his. Now, our problem, and this is the emotional issue that I spoke about, our problem is that we see people who make claims of faith all the time. And when they claim to be saved, it looks real, it looks legitimate. I've had people who seemingly walk with the Lord for several years, and then they fall away. It's like, ah, it didn't work for me, so I, 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 I followed something else. The problem with that is you're denying the guarantee and the power of God. So we can only conclude that people who come to Jesus and then appear to fall away, and that doesn't mean that someone won't come back if they really belong to the Lord, they will. But those who walk away and stay away and die in that condition, they didn't lose their salvation, and yet they never had it in the first place. First John 2.19, they went out from us because they were never really part of us. And John, of course, was thinking about Judas. Judas appeared to be legitimate. On our Sunday studies, uh, we're right at that place uh, in, in chapter 22 of Luke's Gospel uh, where, where Judas betrays the Lord and, and the devil inhabits him. So, um, the parable of the sower, Jesus' definition, talks about the types of hearts. And it looks like Three of the four hearts belong to saved people, at least initially, but then these things happen and people walk away. So Annette, this isn't a matter of being smart. This is just a matter of do you believe what the Bible says clearly in a passage that is only about that very thing? I've had people say to me, Annette, well, well, there are passages, especially in Hebrews, that would seem to indicate just the opposite is true. Anybody who says that is misreading Hebrews. Again, they're not being critical in their analysis. So that's why I know I'm right. And that's not arrogance at all. I'm just saying this is what the Bible says, and I believe it. You know, Annette, my final thought on this is, is, will be this. Um, I think it really grieves the heart of God when Christians won't believe that he's able to hold them safe and secure until the end. Now think about that. God promises, I got you. And we who are believers say, oh, no, you don't. So it's very important that we decide to believe. I, I think that the believer who struggles with his or her salvation, am I saved? Did I mess up? Um, I really believe that grieves the heart of God. So I hope that answers your question. Here is another um, cynic question. This is from Jack. Uh, I think the ark story is unbelievable, ridiculously so. (laughs) 
say what you really mean, Jack. But I'm a believer in Jesus, so do you have to accept a false story like the Ark of Noah to be a Christian? Well, Jack, no. To be a Christian, you don't have to accept the story. Um, but you ought to, and let me tell you why. Because Jesus believed it. In two of the Gospels, Matthew and Luke, Jesus validates the Ark of Noah story. It's that simple. So, your question and your wrestling match is, and, and I think just the way you worded your question, Jack, I think the issue is, is pride. Um, um, to, to say it's a false story is like calling Jesus a liar, isn't it? Now, if you say, as you did, I am a believer in Jesus, you don't have to check in your brains. Just look at what Jesus said about it. You know, if Jesus is God, and you say you're a believer, if Jesus is God, and God is holy, and God is just, and Jesus lived his life without sin, well, then he couldn't have lied about this while he was alive. Lying is a sin. Bearing false witness is a sin against God. And if the story of Adam and Eve, if the story of Noah and the flood, the worldwide flood, if those things are not true, then Jesus sinned and we're all lost in our sins. So, Jack, I think what you need to do is sort of reevaluate your critical reasoning process. You know, just because some really smart person, and when I say smart, I mean intellect, I don't mean practically so, uh, because they say, oh, that's silly, and you say, well, yeah, that's a dumb story. Nobody would believe that could happen. Um, Noah is one. Um, uh, Jonah being swallowed by the great fish is another. People that don't want to believe it are denying that Jesus lived without sin. And if Jesus actually sinned by lying about Noah, Matthew and Luke both have Jesus validating the story. Then, Jack, we've got real problems. If that's the case, none of us are saved because it took a perfect human being to sacrifice for our sins. And Jesus was that one, the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. Oops, but Jesus lied, so there's no way to the Father if what you believe about the ark and Noah is true. See, that's what I want Christians to do. And, you know, we've been doing this program now for seven years. And when I think about all of the questions, and there's hardly ever a new question. I mean, I've had them all at this point. Uh, I want Christians to open their Bibles and think critically. Understand the consequences of the things that they say and the charges that they make. If Jesus lied, we're lost. 340-9585, here is a question from Nick. He said, do you think Pope Francis is on the way to destroying the Catholic faith? Um, Nick, I, I don't know. I'm not a Catholic. I think the, the Catholic doctrine is so egregiously wrong that I think uh, the Catholic faith is doing a great job of destroying itself. It's simply not true. Now, uh, the basics. They've got the right Father, the right Son, and the right Holy Spirit. Um, but doctrine means absolutely nothing. It's true that this Pope has come in and changed so many things, and he's speaking... Um, on things and, and changing things that is really shaking a lot of Catholics. There seems to be some underground movement wanting to get rid of this Pope. 
Um, but uh, he, this Pope has demonstrated clearly he's not a believer in Jesus Christ. Um, and and uh, he needs to worry about destroying his soul. So whether it's destroying Catholic faith, I don't think you can really destroy something that is already pretty well a shipwreck. But, um, Nick, I, I, that, that's all I have to say on the Pope and the Catholic faith. Ooh, I like this question. It's from Donald. He says, Pastor Ron, does a ministry calling change during the course of one's life? You know, Donald, sometimes it does. Now, I, I'm not sure that um, um, it's the normal course of, of, of the way calling works. Um, I've been saved for 28 and a half years, almost 20. No, it's almost 29. It'll be 29 next month. Um, and, and my calling hasn't changed. Now, God has changed some of the things we do within that calling. Um, but, but I'm a pastor. I'm a Bible teacher. Uh, I love what I do. And I'm probably going to go grow old and decrepit standing at the, at the pulpit teaching the Bible. Um, but there are times when it does. Let me give you an example. I've got a friend who was uh, uh, the founding pastor of a church in Washington State. Uh, and he was with the church for 40 years. And he just got old. Uh, his health and energy level didn't permit him to um, um, keep up the pace. And, and, and it was a large church. And so he raised up a younger man um, to take over for him. The transition was about a year and a half long. But it, it went really, really well. And now he ministers to, he's still doing pastoral work, but he ministers to the senior uh, citizen segment of the church that he founded. So he's still there and still serving faithfully, but his calling changed. I have another friend who was the pastor of a, a, a mega church in Santa Barbara, California. And he just went to his board of elders and said, Honestly, I don't have the energy to do this with this large church anymore. I want to move to Hawaii. He once started a church in Hawaii. And he said, I want to go back and take that church. It's a small church. That's what I can handle at this stage of my life. So, yeah, there are times when a ministry calling does change in the course of one's life. And I think it's just a matter of circumstance. One thing I can say, Donald, and I was talking to our pastor's discipleship class about this. Um... um a ministry calling doesn't change if the person has been faithful in that calling. Uh, th that person can disqualify themselves. But if they haven't been faithful, if they haven't been loyal, if they haven't been diligent in doing the work, um, then, then I think they can step out of their calling. I think God will replace them, but he's not going to, to move them into another area if they haven't been faithful in the one that they have. So... Um, yeah, it does sometimes change, and um, uh, Donald, I think that's important. Let me let me add one other thing because uh, I have another a church that we planted here uh, in New Brunfels. Um, uh, Ed show uh, is plays on this radio program. I think on the weekend or this radio station on the weekend. Um, Ed was a church planter, Ed Hernandez, and he's at the New Brunfels uh, Calvary Chapel. Yeah, New Brunfels Calvary Chapel. Uh, River Crossing, I think is the name of the church. Uh, he's a wonderful guy, and he was a church planner. He used to drive me crazy because I, I just can't imagine leaving my church. I, j I really can't. Uh, but he would go, he would establish a church, 
um, um, build it up, raise up people to take it over, and then go somewhere else and do it again. And when he came to uh, to me to talk about coming to New Brunfels, he said, this time I think the Lord wants me to, to settle here. And so there's another example of a ministry calling change. Riverview, I said River Crossing, it's Riverview Calvary Chapel, and Pastor Ed is a, a wonderful man and a, and a really, really good Bible teacher. Also has a real heart for evangelism, which is, I think, great. Tommy says, Pastor Ron, do you ever have doubts about your faith? And what do you do when you have doubts? Um, Tommy, I don't want this to sound arrogant, um, but in my almost 29 years, I've never had a moment's doubt about whether or not I'm saved, my security in the Lord. Um, uh, I've had the enemy lie to me about things. You know, the enemy would, would say, well, what if this isn't true? And I'd just say, basically, shut up. I know it's true, and I've settled that issue in my heart. Uh, I think, Tommy, uh, the reason I mention that is because I think there's a lot of times that we, I want to say this carefully, we doubt our faith because we're not faithful with what God has given us. I, I think there's other times when people fall into sin, and I think the Holy Spirit makes them doubt whether or not they're saved. Paul said we're examine our hearts daily to see whether or not we're in the faith. But I think the man and the woman who walks with Jesus is doing what Jesus told them to do and is doing it as well as they can. Uh, I, I think that person never has any doubt about their faith. Jesus said, if you abide in me, I will abide in you. And I think anybody who is abiding in Christ, I say just be with Jesus, I don't think that person ever has a single doubt about their faith or their security. Now, Tommy, to, to ask what do I do about the doubts, I just told you I didn't have them. Um, um, I counsel a lot of people who do. And I challenge them to read their Bibles and decide once and for all whether or not they believe what it says. A lot of times those doubts are just an enemy lying to us and whispering in our ear. Uh, other times those doubts are based on our own insecurity. I think at some point we've got to say, the Word of God says it, I believe it, that's the end of the discussion. And when we get to that place, uh, I think that's when we are on a, a, a strong place to, to, to fight against the lies of the enemy. But, but again, it's one of my great, great, great things about walking with Jesus. I know I'm his. I know I'm his. So I hope that answers your question. Let's go to our first phone call of the week. Cindy from San Antonio on line one. Cindy, thank you for calling. You're on the air. Hi, Pastor Ron. Sunday yesterday was just wonderful. I wanted to tell you again. I know I told you after the service, but it was so good yesterday. <laughs> thank you, Now, Cindy. my, my um, question is, this is kind of probably jumping ahead of our of next Sunday, but... What I'm wondering about is exactly how much the uh, disciples understood after after the supper, and then they're in the, the Mount of Olives in the garden praying, and Jesus tells them not to fall into temptation, and Jesus goes off and prays. But what I'm wondering is, <clears throat> what 
exactly did they understand was going to happen? Did they finally understand about the crucifixion? Because it seems to me that they're still in the mindset that they're going to overtake the Romans because they were arguing about who was going to be the greatest. But then the, the, the scripture that really caught my eye is uh, verse uh, chapter 22 of Luke, uh, verse 45. It says, When he rose from prayer and went back to the disciples, he found them asleep, exhausted from sorrow. And it's, it's the exhausted from sorrow that I was kind of curious about, even though I know he said that they were going to go through some rough times, but exhausted from sorrow, I'm kind of curious, what sorrow were they having? So I'll, mm -hmm. I'll get off the phone and let you answer. Thank you, Cindy. Appreciate it. Excuse me, kind of cough, mountain cedar is killing me. Uh, Cindy, a couple of things, I, and that is going to, I'm going to deal in depth with that in our study this coming Sunday. Um, but, uh, you know, Luke, who is a doctor, um, he has a different perspective on things than the other gospel writers. Um, Luke is the only one who mentions the reason they fell asleep. Um, Matthew, Mark, John, none of them mention uh, that, that Jesus, uh, the, his disciples fell asleep, Peter, James, and John are the three, of course. Uh, that they fell asleep, um, and they just that they did, and someone like Jesus saying, "You lazy guys!" It's not that at all. Jesus understood, and they got it. And and and, and I want you to think about something, Cindy. It, it would be cold. Um, the air would be heavy. Um, they've been through an emotionally and physically exhausting day. They've just heard Jesus tell him that everything that is written about him is going to be fulfilled this night. They've had to deal with Judas's betrayal. Jesus looked at Peter and said, Peter, you're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows. This very day, this, this night. And, um, and, and they're just overwhelmed. The other thing I want you to think about is in the garden, in the quiet of that garden, sound would travel and they would actually hear Jesus in agony remember Jesus is sweating great drops of blood that's how desperate physically he is and um, Cindy it was just overwhelming to them so they fell asleep uh, Jesus telling them you need to fight don't give in to sleep now you need to pray not for me pray for you but um, the idea of, of the sorrow overwhelming them, I think, is, is the most significant thing. I'm going to spend quite a bit of time on that this coming Sunday. Cindy, thank you very, very much. Let's go to San Leandro, California, and talk with Tanya. Tanya, thank you for calling. Good to hear from you. Happy New Year. Hi. hi. Happy New Year, Papa. I have a um, question for you uh, with regards to, um, so I do this thing. And people will come over many times, and it's usually Jehovah's Witness, and they'll come and they'll try to tell me all the stuff. And, you know, I share the scriptures with them. But I always take everybody's paraphernalia. Like, I was walking down San Francisco one time, and this lady is handing out stuff about about uh, Scientology. I take them and I throw them in the trash can. Because how I see it is if I take it, at least somebody else won't grab it. Um what do you think about that? Like, I, I feel like, because, you know, Carl's kind of looked at me kind of funny. He's like, why do you do that? I go, because I don't want anybody else to get it. You and I know the truth. These people here, they don't know the truth. So I take it and I trash it. Even if I'm somewhere and I see 
like paraphernalia for like something else. I take it and I throw it away. Is that like wrong? Or I feel like that's, I feel like these people are being so misled and they're looking for so many things that I don't want it to fall into somebody else's hands. So I don't know if I'm being like the Bible police or the Jesus police, but (laughs) I just don't want other people to have it. Yeah, Tanya, I'm laughing because I have thrown away literally hundreds and hundreds of watchtowers over the years out of laundromats at the gym. We had people putting them in the in the magazine racks, and and I always do exactly the same thing for the same reason. I don't want people exposed to it. Uh, I'm I'm the guy that if I see a, a, the Mormon elders or Jehovah's Witnesses talking to people, I'm the guy who walk by and say, you know, if you really want to know the truth, I'll. I'll, I'll be happy to share with you those kind of things. But I'm I'm exactly the same way as you are. That shouldn't surprise you. But that's exactly the way uh, that I deal with things. And and uh, there's nothing wrong with that. You know, once somebody gives you something, it's yours to do with it as you as you wish. And in my well, particular case... Carlos. Yep. So okay, Pop, I'm with I you. Because I told him, I go, I, I miss you too. Thank you, Papa. Take care. Okay. Thank you, Tanya. <laughs> Uh, that's so funny because you know I've known obviously I've known Tanya for for a long time. She's been gone a long time, but I've known her for a long time, and uh, I'm not surprised. She's so um, um, in love with Jesus and so protective of people's hearts that she doesn't want them getting bad information. And boy, do I ever understand that. So uh, Tanya, keep doing it. Keep doing it. I think they. The Jehovah's Witnesses at the uh, at the gym when they put them buying the magazines in the racks, I think they finally got wise and they stopped putting them there. But um, I, I threw away stacks and stacks and stacks of them uh, for that very reason. Appreciate the call, Tanya. Good to hear that you're doing well. Give my love and Paula's to Carlos and Marcus as well. I think we're coming up on a break, a little over a minute. Let's see if I have a very quick question that I can do. One minute. One minute. Um, okay, here's one I can do quickly. James says, can moral relativism and objective truth both be true? Uh, no, they can't. I'll do more on that, James, when we come back. Hey, thanks for tuning in today. We have 30 minutes left in the program, 340-9585. We'd love your live calls and questions. You're more interesting than I am. You're listening to The Word to Stand Up For Life. We'll be back in two minutes. If you have questions about the Bible, you can send them to Pastor Ron, and he'll answer them on the air or reply directly to you. Email your questions to PastorRonKSLR at gmail.com. That's PastorRonKSLR at gmail.com. Back to the word to stand on for life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to our final 30 minutes today. 340-9585. James, let me do a little bit better with your question while we wait for some phone calls. Can moral relativism and objective truth both be true? James, true truth doesn't change. Now, we, in in our culture, we change. You know, we've got my truth and your truth, and everybody has to go find their own truth. Um, That's part of the reason this world is so messed up. 
because uh, truth is true. Uh, if something was right um, 200 years ago, it's still right. If something was true then, it's still true now. So um, the idea that there is moral relativism, um, um, things change because the culture, the society changes, that's simply not true. Truth is objective. By definition, it's mutually exclusive. And so, um, James, it's it, both those things cannot be true uh, when they contradict uh, themselves. 340-9585. Here is a question from our email inbox from Nancy that just came in. Uh, Since the disciples didn't get what Jesus was saying in Luke 22, 36, and 38, would we consider this passage to be a parable? Um... No, these are not parables, Nancy. Um, they didn't. They didn't get it. Jesus was telling them, "Look, I'm getting ready to die. Uh, I've been with you. I've protected you, uh, but um, I'm gone. You're going to be on your own." And what he's saying is, "I while I was here, I protected you. While I was here, I provided for you. But when I'm gone, you're on your own. Now the Holy Spirit, of course, will be with you. Um, but but see, the, their mindset just wasn't there at all. I did this in the message yesterday, and that's what prompted Nancy's question, I'm sure. Um, Jesus tells them, look, I, when I sent you out before, you lacked nothing, but now uh, whoever has a money belt is to take it along. Likewise, a bag, whoever has no sword is to sell his coat and buy one. And the disciples said, look, look Lord, he, here are two swords. And he said to them, that's enough. But he wasn't saying that two swords are enough. What he was saying is, enough of this kind of talk. You don't get it. They were absolutely clueless. Uh, and we understand in their grief, we understand that we, we're, we're with Jesus. We don't look forward to, to trials and tribulations. But what Jesus was telling them is, guys, it's time to grow up. It's time to toughen up. Because now is the time when things are going to be really, really hard for you. And of course, we know that was the case. You know, the, the disciples who turned apostles, uh, they had bullseyes on their backs the whole time. People chasing them, people plotting against them. Uh, when Jesus was here, the plots were always against him. So he kept them safe, but he was preparing them for things to be a lot more difficult. But it's not a parable at all. Jesus is simply using figures of speech that would have been very common uh, in the day. Um, and saying, you guys need to toughen up. It's going to be hard. So thank you for that. I appreciate it. Let's go to uh, line one, Lee from San Antonio. Lee, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Uh, yes, my question is about the Jehovah Witness religion. Did mm-hmm. uh, I hear that they're preaching law or something like that? Can you explain that to me? Yes, I can. And um, if you know Jehovah's Witnesses, really, really pray for them. Their problems, it's not just that they're preaching wrong. The message is a false message. Jehovah's Witnesses are a cult, uh, a religious cult, but a cult nonetheless. And the reason is because they change uh, the character the nature of Jesus. Um, Every cult changes the character the nature of Jesus. The Jesus of the Jehovah's Witnesses uh, is a created being. Uh, He is not the creator of all things. Uh, The Jesus of the Jehovah's Witness faith is Michael the Archangel in a different form. 
Um, and, and certainly as a created being, um, he's not God, and only God can forgive sins. So that's the issue with the Jehovah's Witnesses. Now, they have all kinds of doctrinal errors, but the, the, the foundation is what's really rotten there, Lee. And, and that foundation is that Jesus Christ is not the God who said, let there be light and there was light, but that he himself was a created being. The same thing, by the way, is true of the Mormons. They have a different take on Jesus. He's the spirit brother of Lucifer who became the devil, um, but, but also a created being rather than the creator. And while both Jehovah's Witnesses and especially Mormons uh, use a lot of the same language, uh, yeah, we're saved by Jesus' death on the cross, um, he died and we're saved, that kind of thing. Um, unless the Jesus that you believe in is Jesus of Nazareth, the perfect God-man who lived and died and didn't stay dead, then you don't have a Jesus that's sufficient to save. So, Lee, that's the real problem with Jehovah's Witnesses. Stay away, stay away, and share your faith. Um, just, I, I always ask Jehovah's Witnesses especially, uh, do you want to hear who the real Jesus is? And, and, and typically they won't listen. Uh, and I don't keep talking. If they don't want to listen, I don't keep talking. But it is a cult, Lee, and to be avoided at all costs. Good question. Thank you very much. Let's go to Thank Jonestown, you. Texas. Okay, my pleasure, Lee. Let's go to Jonestown, Texas and talk with Dale on line two. Dale, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hey, Pastor Ron. Um, I've got Hi, a Dale. question. It's, it's going to sound like a gotcha question, but I assure you it's not. I believe with all okay. my heart that the Lord Jesus' death was required for remission of our sins. But my question is... While Christ was on earth, on multiple occasions, he forgave people of their sins prior to his death. And I've just been wondering how that could be um, before his death. Yeah, that's, that's not a, a, a gotcha question at all. Uh, Jesus, of course, was God, uh, and so he had the authority to forgive sins. But when he forgave their sins... He did so because they repented of their sins and they believed. Now, he, he, their, their, their salvation wasn't uh, finished yet while he was still alive. But um, it's just like the Old Testament saints. John the Baptist uh, is, is an Old Testament prophet, although he appears in the New Testament. Uh, but he believed in the one who would come after him. He was the forerunner. And because he believed, Jesus said he was the greatest of, of uh, any man that ever been born of a woman to that point. So uh, they were saved by faith. Jesus, when they repented of their sins, uh, your faith has saved you, he tells people. Uh, Go and sin no more, he tells others. Uh, but when they believed, and that's that's always been the criteria for salvation, um, then then they, 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 they were saved. As saved as you were saved, as saved as I'm saved. You know, the, the only difference would be between them and us. We're on this side of the cross. They were on the other side of the cross. The only difference, Dale, would be that um, th those who, if they died physically while Jesus was still alive, they believed, Jesus pronounced their salvation, uh, I forgive you of your sins, but if they died physically, then they would have gone to paradise or Abraham's bosom. You can read about that in Luke chapter 16. 
Uh, and that's where they would have been held until that moment when Jesus descended into the lower parts of the earth and took the captives free, set the captives free. Um, and um, at, at that point now, we've still got the place of torment in Luke 16 that's still occupied, but paradise is empty because Jesus took, upon his death and resurrection, Jesus took all of those people to heaven with him because the work had been completed. That help? It does. Thank you. Well, good. Thank you, Dale. Appreciate it very, very much. Three four zero ninety five eighty five for your live calls. Here is a question from Ronald, and it's a question that's related to a question I had before uh, last week, I think, on orthodoxy. He said, is it possible that Christians have been too focused on the intellectual as opposed to the emotional and are missing a large part of their Christian experience? Um, Ronald, um, no, uh, it, it, it's not possible. I think, I think our, our, our faith is, is an intelligent faith. It is a reasonable faith. And I think as we, we, we really dig in to see what the Lord has done for us, when we dig in to grow in the knowledge of who He is and of His will for our lives, uh, I don't think uh, emotional experiences or goosebump experiences um, have a whole lot of great value. Now, there's lots of times you get very, very emotional, and that's a good thing. We're emotional beings. But to go to church, and, and understanding your question as it relates to orthodoxy, we see young people who are going to liturgical um, um, worship services uh, because they like to go in and it's the hush and the, uh, it, it looks like a church and there's background music and there's candles lit and icons all over the place. And I think, uh, Ronald, that, that um, you know, they get goosebumps and they, they think that's an essential part of, of their, their walk with the Lord. Um, but they're the ones who are missing the greater part of their Christian experience. When you really know who Jesus is, when you've really dug into the Word, um, then you're going to have emotional experiences. But your faith is not going to be based on emotion. It's going to be based on a foundation that's immovable. And you're going to be able to deal with the trials that come through life. You know, the, the Christian that goes to a an Orthodox church after having been uh, in, in more um, standard evangelical churches... Um, you know, they may feel different and they may feel like, well, this is an ancient faith and this is where it all began and, and I can feel the presence of God here. Uh, all that falls apart when the doctrine begins to fall apart. So the Christian that is looking for uh, an emotional experience is the Christian whose foundation is very, very shaky. So I hope that helps. Let's go now to Jeff calling on line one. Jeff, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Happy Monday, Pastor Ron. Thank you, Jeff. Except for the mountain cedar, it is. Ah, <laughs> uh, no. You're still suffering with that. Ooh, today it's over 28,000. I can chew it. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> oh, boy. Um, two things. I, I don't know if you happen to catch in the news last Friday that the uh, Methodist Church has indeed voted to split, yes. and uh, they were actually, they were trying to 
the reason they voted so quickly was because they were trying to abate a mandate that any Methodist pastor that refused to marry a, a gay couple would be fined by losing his salary for one year and not being able to pastor for one year. And I'm just incensed about that. And um, But the, the main thing I really would like you to comment on, and you may have already talked about this with Paula, I missed date day last week, uh, about the passing of, of Lois Evans. Uh, Dr. Mm-hmm. Tony Evans' wife, and um, a very bitter, sweet, very sad, very happy occasion as he wrote that she was seeing her first sunrise in heaven. Uh, but you know, she was she was just seventy years old, and um, you know, when when Paul, I wondered if you would just comment on when Paul wrote to Timothy uh, prior to him, you know. Uh, being beheaded, uh, just the words he had about being poured out as a drink offering, and then he would be mm. poured out again uh, afterwards. But uh, just really sensitive, feeling sensitive for her and for their family, and it just brings it all all home to us because you know we're all mortal, and yep. you know my wife and I talk about it pretty often. I mean, you know. Anyway, so. That's all. Thanks, Jeff. I, I can do that. I'm, I'm actually going to comment on both of those. Uh, we got Mary Beth holding on, on the other line. Mary Beth, please be patient just for a couple more minutes. But th- these are a couple important things. The first one, you know, the Methodist Church threw out the Word of God a long time ago. I'm grateful that there are still men who are standing for the Word uh, as it relates to, to uh, the issue of marriage. Um, and yet they brought this on themselves. They, they, they threw the Word of God out. Um, they don't teach it. They don't preach it. They don't practice it. And um, uh, it is a tragedy. And, and when things like this come up, it shows us just how far we've fallen. I think of, of uh, John Wesley um, if it were possible for him to turn in his grave, he'd be doing flips in his grave because what was once a great denomination um, in the history of, of uh, our world has now just been torn and tattered, uh, and, and it is shameful. It's shameful. I'm glad, Jeff, also that you brought up uh, Lois Evans. Um, I just found out about it today, and i got to tell you, it hit me really, really hard. Tony Evans is... Um, one of my few favorites, I don't have a lot of favorites, uh, but, but his ministry has been exemplary. Uh, and he's so different than I am and does things different, but um, that just demonstrates what the truth will do. Uh, I have no problem um, with, with unity, even though he's different, and, and I'm sure we, we have a few things that are different in our beliefs. But this is a man whose ministry has been marked with integrity, he has been consistent for so many years. Uh, he is a voice of reason. Um, he's a man that obviously loves not only his family, but, but his church family as well. And I, I don't know whether it's just because I'm, I'm about his age. Uh, I think he and uh, Lois was 70, and I think Tony is also 7 years old. But, um, you know, all I could think about, I, I, I cried when I when I saw it and I just thought oh my goodness and my heart went out to him because I, I just can't imagine not being with Paula I, I cannot imagine how I could continue I know the Lord would would sustain me but 
um, it, it just it was so personal. And while um, I don't know them personally, um, I've listened to um, both Tony and Lois Evans enough over the years that that I feel like I know them. And and she was a uh, a rock, a, a, a wonderful, wonderful, godly woman. And uh, we all need to keep Tony and the, their children in our prayers, their grown children and grandchildren, because this is a huge loss. This is just a huge, huge loss. And uh, I was overwhelmed today by hearing the news. So, Jeff, thank you for giving me the opportunity. I meant to open up the program with that today, and we just kind of got lost in it. Mary Beth, on line two, thanks for holding. You're on the air. Hi, Pastor Ron. Thank you so much for taking my call. It's pretty quick, the question. Um, okay. So I recently accompanied a friend to a rosary. I'd never been to one, so it was a new experience for me. But in there, the priest mentioned something about once God comes for, you know, for us and we are reunited with our loved ones that have passed, he made a reference to, um, I guess, individuals who have been married a second time. And he said something to the effect that um, that when you are reunited with your husband or your wife, it will be from your first marriage. And, I mean, it kind of makes sense, but I just kind of wanted to get your take on that. Um, if you don't mind, I'll take the call. I mean, I'll take the, the answer off, off the air. Okay, Mary Beth. Thank you very, very much. Um, Mary Beth, nothing that they say in a rosary is true. I mean, just, just say flat out, nothing that they say. It's creepy. Um, if, you've, if that was your first one um, and you have any discernment at all, um, you, you just understand there's just not the presence of the Lord there. Um, so their doctrine is bad. Um, um, there's no way that um, um, dying has anything to do with being um, reunited with your first wife or your second wife. So none of it is true. Um, you know, we're, we're going to be married to Jesus uh, in the resurrection. It's that simple. We're not going to be married. There is no marriage. Uh, we will have contact with uh, the people that that um, we were with here on earth. We will we will experience our loved ones. We'll love them infinitely more than we do here on earth. Um, but but this whole idea of marriage. Now remember. Um, in the Catholic Church, as long as you're Catholic, you're going to be reunited with somebody. That's not true. You've got to be born again. So nothing that was said in that rosary is true. There's nothing that you can count on. And um, again, this is one of those questions where when the foundation is bad, doctrinally bad, then the fruit that comes from that bad foundation is also bad fruit. So... um, if you are married now and you've been married before you and your husband will both be married to Jesus but you will be together and you will serve together Uh, if you have a husband who died and left you you'll be reunited with him too but it won't be uh, a marriage situation it'll be a completely new order of things and so um, just try to forget everything that you heard in the rosary it's um, it was just a horrible experience. Uh, we've had people who's uh, in our church who's um, who've had family members die, and 
Uh, we live in a heavily Catholic city, and, and out of uh, love and support for the people in our church, we would go to uh, the, the, the parents' funeral uh, with them. Uh, and, and it just, uh, it almost sickens me every time that I do. So um, just ignore what you heard. Um, there is no giving in marriage in heaven. Uh, I always tease Paul, like, Jesus got to make you hang out with me. But we're both going to be married to Jesus. So thanks, Mary Beth, for the call. And thank you for being patient and holding on the line. We're inside now four minutes. So let me see if i got a question I can do here. Here's one from Theodore. He says, what would a church today look like if it were to follow the first century model of what a church should look like? Well, Theodore, that's an easy question to answer because it would look like Acts chapter 2 beginning in verse 42. That's the way church was established. That's God's model for the church. It's the way we ought to be doing church. And so if a church would follow that first century model, um, we would be devoted to worship. We would be devoted to prayer. We'd be devoted to fellowship one with another. But, but primarily we'd be devoted to, and that's a very strong word. I keep using the word devoted. When you see that, in Acts chapter 2, it's a strong word. It's like, like being glued to these things. And um, we'd be devoted to the apostles' doctrine. And Theodore, that's what we do uh, when we teach the word. We're teaching the doctrine of the apostles. The same thing that they taught. And then the result would be that people could come, they could be saved, they could be healed, they could be strengthened, their lives would change, they would produce a lot of fruit, thereby bringing other people into the church. So the first century church that's alive right now in 2020 is a church uh, where people are getting saved all the time, uh, where the people that come are inviting unbelievers all the time. That's what a healthy body does. And, um, um, you know, we, we, we put on big shows and... Um, conferences and concerts. Uh, we tell funny stories, uh, all with the, the desire to fill auditoriums, when in fact, all we have to do, Theodore, all we have to do is do what God told us to do. And then he brings the people and such, uh, and those who were, were being added to the church daily were those who were being saved. And so that's what the church would look like. Now, Theodore, I, I'm not uh, bragging here but uh, if you came to Calvary Chapel of San Antonio, what you would see is a hugely diverse church. Uh, age, economics, um, race, uh, backgrounds. Um, you'd see people from all walks of life um, with their Bibles open and their lives being transformed. Why? Because the Word of God, uh, empowered by the Spirit of God, is going to do that very thing. And that's what a church would look like. It would be uh, all those things where we'd be devoted to the things. Acts chapter 242 through the end of the chapter. Theodore, you can read that. Hey, thanks for the question. Hey, appreciate you tuning in today. You've been listening to the Monday edition of the Word to Stand Up for Life. Reminder, we have our men's and women's and youth Bible studies tonight at 7 o'clock. May the Lord bless you and keep you. I'll see you tomorrow at 4 o'clock on AM 630, The Word. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. 
The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio.